All right, let's go ahead and again, as I said, turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians, and we are in the third chapter now as we're going through this book. <clears throat> Last week we started chapter 3. Chapter 3, we did verses 1 through 3, is looking at false teachers that Paul said are now creeping into the church. And this morning we're going to look at these false teachers were teaching that you can earn your way to heaven by works of the flesh. Folks, that's what false religions still teach today is that you can earn your way to heaven. You can find a way to God. All paths are leading to God. We're just taking different routes getting there. All those are false statements. There is nothing in my flesh good enough for me to get my way to heaven. Reading my Bible will not get me to heaven. Being in church will not get me to heaven. Being baptized will not get me to heaven. In this case with the Judaizers, being circumcised and following the law will not get anybody to heaven. What does get an individual to heaven is faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work alone, period. So Paul gives a list of things in his life that he was putting his trust in before he was saved. Let's read verses 4 through 7. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, that if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. I have seven points this morning, so hopefully we get done this morning. But Paul gives this list of seven things and states that they were all loss. To him. Why? Because he would not put his confidence in the flesh, but in Jesus Christ. So let us pray. Father, again, I pray you guide us now as we study this, these seven things in which Paul said he could have put his faith. And at one point he did trust in those. But Lord, help us to realize that we cannot have confidence in the flesh, but we must have confidence in Jesus Christ. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first one, Paul says, is he had proper rituals. He had proper rituals. Again, some think that certain rituals will get them to heaven. If I go to church, if I partake of the sacraments, if I do these certain things, if I get baptized, if I, whatever the case may be, then God's going to allow me into heaven. But there are no rituals that will get an individual into heaven. Now, again, these Judaizers creeping into the church were teaching that they had to keep the law saying, well, if you want to be a Christian, you got to keep the law. I am glad Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of the law, and we don't have to keep the law, right? But specifically, they were saying that they had to be circumcised. And so Paul says circumcision cannot save. He says circumcised the eighth day. Now that's important, because in Genesis chapter 17, verse 12, it says, and he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man-child of your generations, he that is born in the house or bought of money or of a stranger, which is not thy seed. So, a Jew was to be circumcised, but it is also a specific day, the eighth day in which they were to be circumcised. And Paul says, I met that requirement. Now, I am sure there are times, maybe due to an illness, maybe due to some other reason why it was delayed, I do know somebody who was a proselyte into Judaism, obviously would be an adult man and would be way past eight days, okay? So 
what Paul is saying is, is when it comes down to even the timing of this ritual, I had it right. As if Paul had anything to do with that, but it was right. You see, no religious ritual can save. Many think and many teach what we call baptismal regeneration, saying that baptism saves. Baptism does not save. Baptism is an outward showing of the work that's already been done in one's heart. When one is baptized, they are not saying, I'm doing this to be saved. They're saying, I'm doing this because I am saved. And I am truly, excuse me, expressing to the world that I have chosen to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, baptism in our country has kind of lost a little bit of significance in that when we baptize, we have here in the church a baptistry under the floor, which someday we're going to fix. It's among friends, family, and people who are wanting to encourage you in your baptism. But understand, in many countries, number one, they don't have the comfort of doing it here, in a, in like, like here, so they go to a river or a lake or whatever, and some people in our country still choose to do it that way, okay? But understand, many religions, when somebody is baptized saying, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, their family will totally disown them. Jews and Muslims being two religions who will disown them, sometimes even count them as dead, not talk to them. So when someone would say, I am following Christ, it was a huge step, and it still is a huge step, and it is a wonderful thing. And I'm not trying to belittle it here in America, but I think we lose that significance when we, we don't seem to have quite that connection. Now, there are some families here in America that will still disown somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but it's not as prevalent as in many countries. And understand this also. Throughout church history, those that have chosen to follow Jesus Christ in believers' baptism have given their lives for that. But the baptism was never the saving grace. It was already the grace of Jesus Christ that saved them. That baptism was an outward showing, but they were still willing to do it because they wanted to proclaim, I'm a follower of him. So this teaching that baptism saves is a false teaching. Acts chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. And as they went their way, there came a certain water, and the eunuch said, this is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now get this. Get Philip's answer. This is important. He says, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What the eunuch is saying is, I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. According to what you just told me, Philip, I have trusted Christ. Now I'm ready to be baptized. You see, he was saved already, then baptized. As I said already, church membership does not save. You can be on the church rolls all your life and still die and go to hell. Church attendance doesn't save. The blood of Jesus Christ saves. So, Paul said, I used to trust in the proper rituals. But then he continues on. He says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He says, I was of the right nation. Trust in his nationality. He was an Israelite. But, you know, being an Israelite doesn't save. 
Deuteronomy 7, 6, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be, uh, to be a special people unto himself above all people of the face of the earth. So, yes, they are a special people, but they're still saved and lost Jews, are there not? There are those who still trust Christ and those who don't. Even before Christ came, there were Jews who believed God and had faith in God, but were there not also Jews who denied God? Okay, so did the fact that they were Jew automatically take them to heaven? The answer is no, because they still had to believe God, still had to have a faith in God, right? But he's not a proselyte. He, he wasn't converted to Judaism. He was born a Jew, Paul says. He was not like those Samaritans that were half-breeds. He's a pure Jew. But can I relate this to us today? Being an American does not save you. I've heard people say, well, we're a Christian nation, so everybody here is a Christian. That's not true. Number one, we were a Christian nation. We are a post-Christian nation today, I believe. Okay, because while we still have many Christians in this nation, we are not being governed by Christian principles any longer. But being an American does not put you any closer to God. Now, what it does is gives you many more opportunities to hear freely the gospel, I believe, than many countries. But Acts 10.34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. God wants to save all, and being from a certain na nation does not earn favor with him. Well, Paul continues. And again, we're talking about the false confidence in the flesh. And Paul says, these are the confidences I had at one point in my life. I had the proper rituals. I had the proper nation. And then he goes down to say, I had the proper family. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. So Benjamin and Judah are the two tribes that made up the southern kingdom after split with Jeroboam, right? The other 10 are up north. But it was Judah. We call it Judah because that's the big one. And then... Benjamin had this little part that kind of got sucked in there, but they were still Benjamite, Benjaminites, I can say it. I've heard people say when I've asked them, how are you going to get to heaven? My daddy's a preacher. You know, your family is not going to get you to heaven. But I have a good family. It's still not enough to take you to heaven. You must put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Then Paul goes on and says, in Hebrew of the Hebrews. This is of the superlative degree. You know, we have good, better, best, right? This is that superlative best degree. He says, I'm like at the top of the line. Now, he's not saying in a bragging way. He's just saying, these are the things that I have had in my lineage, and these are the things that I was putting my trust in at one point. Both parents were Hebrews. He had no Gentile blood in him. He's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. You know, our children are not automatically in a covenant with God because we, their parents, are saved. I don't know if any of you have ever been exposed to covenant theology that has this umbrella that if the mom and dad are saved, then the children automatically will go to heaven too. That is another uh, perversion of the Word of God and another doctrine of devils and another lie of Satan, because you know what? My children had to make a personal choice to receive Jesus Christ just as I did. 
My family doesn't save. It doesn't matter how good my family is. It doesn't matter how good my lineage is. It doesn't save. So number four. Told you there's seven points. We're already on four, so I'm doing fairly decent. Paul had the proper education. Acts 22.3 says, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, and brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. He learned at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, this man was like the top dog teacher of the day to learn under, okay? If you wanted to learn the law, this was the guy you were going to learn from. You know, it's sad that many people put their faith in their education. This so-called education system that teaches lies that we are not a creation of God, but a random chance of nature And people will put their trust in this false teaching rather than the teaching of God himself that says you are a unique creation. And they say, I don't need a savior because I'm educated and I'm too smart to believe that there is a God. Is that not what many people think today? Now, Paul says, I had this great education, but you know what? It's not my education that saves. Let me tell you something else. Can I take this and apply this to Christians too? An education is not what makes you serve. What do I mean by that? I get many times when people find out I'm an ambassador grad. Oh, what a wonderful college. And it is a good college, okay? I'm thankful for the education I received at Ambassador Baptist College. Do I promote that college a lot? You know why? Because my allegiance is not to a college. My allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm thankful for the education I got there. But some men automatically judge according to where you went to school of what kind of preacher you are. And there is a certain amount of maybe a different style, maybe a different whatever, but we divide ourselves in these camps. You know, well, they went to Bob Jones. They went to Hiles Anderson. They went to wherever, you know, and they divide all in these camps, and then they all want to fight against each other. Since when has God said, divide yourselves according to your educational standards? He didn't. Matter of fact, you know, I've met some country preachers who never had a formal education who I think can preach the Bible better than some men who've had master's degrees. You know why? Because their textbook is the Bible. And they're not worried about all the mechanics of putting together a message to make it all sound flowery, what they're concerned about is preaching the truths of God's Word. So in all areas of life, while I'm not trying to belittle education and say we need to be a bunch of unlearned and ignorant people, okay, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is my education is not premium above my walk with Jesus Christ. But Paul had the best of training. As I said, some believe, many educated people believe they do not need God. But God says in Psalm 14, 1, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. God calls them fools. Now that's pretty strong accusation, or strong um, um, word to use. But God's the one who says, if you say there is no God, 
you're a fool. Knowing about God does not equate to knowing God. Matthew 15, 7 through 9, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy to you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus says, You draw nigh to me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. God sees the heart. And some people think that knowing about God, knowing all these facts about God, makes me closer to God. Peter says we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we are to grow in knowledge of him, but the knowledge without the grace makes an arrogant individual. Quite a list Paul has, isn't it? Paul says, I have the proper rituals. I'm from the proper nation. I had the proper family. I had a proper education. Paul was, appears to have been a prominent leader in the Sanhedrin. Hold your place here in Philippians. Go back with me to Acts chapter 5 for just a moment. Acts chapter 5, verses 33 through 40. And when they heard they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them, and stood there, uh, one accounts, uh, stood there, 34. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, doctor of the law, had in reputation among the people and, command, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what, intent, uh, what, indeed, what intend ye to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up um, Thedius, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man arose up justice of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even to fight against God. To him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now I said that Paul, I meant Gamaliel, was the uh, Pharisee, the uh, big dog, if you will, among the Pharisees. And that's obvious by him being able to stand up, give this speech, and they following what he says, okay? Going back to Paul saying, I learned at the feet of Gamaliel, we're, we're again talking to a man who was not only very well educated, but very well respected among the Jews, okay? So when Paul says, I learned at the feet of Gamaliel, people would be like, oh, wow, what a privilege, Paul. How great that must have been to learn at the feet of Gamaliel. You know, those that know Dr. Ron Comfort, I've had people say, oh, that must have been such a privilege to learn at the feet of Dr. Ron Comfort. It was. But let me say again, again, I'm not trying to belittle him or his ministry, but Dr. Ron Comfort is a man, Right? A good a man as he is, he's still a man. Gamaliel was just a man. So was Paul. Let's go on to point number five. Paul says that he was of the proper religion. He was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the strictest sect of the religious leaders. Acts 26.5, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of, sect of our religion... I lived a Pharisee. They held to the letter of the law 
Now, unfortunately, they added many men's traditions to the law, hence the reason why Judaism has, even by this point in history, had developed into this whole big works religion because they're adding so many traditions of men to what God had said. Okay? By the way, unfortunately, that still continues today, doesn't it? Anybody ever see a home with a Jewish kitchen? Okay, Al has. Al, tell me what's unique about a Jewish kitchen. Okay, but there's a certain sect of Jews today, Susan. Yes, they have separate counters for the dairy separated from the meats. Because the verse that says, thou shalt not see the kid in its mother's milk, they, they have extrapolated that to where dairy products and meat products cannot touch. And so their kitchen will have two separate sets of cabinets and countertops for the, for the preparation of those foods. That is adding men's tradition to what God intended. That's just one example of how far and how insane some of their traditions became. Okay? The Bible is our sole authority of all faith and practice, is it not? Okay, so we had this discussion when we changed our Sunday evening service to an early morning service because show me in the Bible where it says thou shalt have a Sunday evening service. Yet I still have had guys say, wait a minute, you did away with your evening service, brother? Yeah, we just moved it. We actually didn't do away with it. We moved it to a different time of day. I've had some that are okay with it, but I still have some that scratch their head. They won't say a whole lot, but they scratch their head and look at me in disbelief, like we broke some kind of command, you know? And it's really weird, um, because we didn't break any command, okay? Uh, you know, we've got to be careful that we don't put the traditions of men as God's word, right? And so we need to, we need to understand that if it's biblical... It's okay for somebody to do. I think I told you before, I had a missionary friend. He's in glory now. He actually was a teacher and ambassador for a while who said when he was in Korea, because of the people's weird work schedules, the best time for them to have church service was midnight. So guess when they had their church service? Midnight. That'd be cool. Midnight church. It's like, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Al, you had something you wanted to add? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course. So religion or religious activity cannot save. Paul came to that realization. Let's move on. Verse 6, Paul says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He had a proper zeal. Before Paul was saved, he thought he was doing God's service by killing those who are following this Jesus Christ. Think of that. 
And he was very zealous in what he was doing. And he believed in his head that he was serving God by doing so. Just because somebody says they're serving God doesn't mean they're serving God. There are false teachers out there who say they're serving God but are leading people astray. There are those out there that say, if you follow God, your life is going to be a life of prosperity. God wants you to have all these things. Send in your big offering, and I'll show you how to live. Do they not? Oh, yeah, they got their own jets and cars and houses and everything else. And the world mocks and says, why do people do that? I got a question. Why do people do that? Because that's not biblical. Paul was very zealous. He was proving his zeal and his religion, and he thought his love toward God by persecuting the church. You know, some of the most zealous people that I have seen for their religion and very loving in what they do, but very wrong in their religion, are the Mormons. I probably had more Mormons knock on my door than I've had Baptists knock on my door. They're very zealous for what they do. That's sad, isn't it? But their religion is false religion. You say, well, that's very dogmatic. They deny the deity of Jesus Christ, and the Word of God says, if you deny the deity of Jesus Christ, it's a false religion, right? Okay, so I'm just saying what God has said of them. They are a false religion. Muslims have a great zeal, and in their zealousness, believe a... I told you before, had a friend when, we, when I worked over at the Walmart over here. He was one of the managers here. I think he might still be there. I'm not sure. He might have retired by now. He was retired from the Marine Corps, and he was working there as a manager. He was a Muslim. And he and I had many discussions about Islam and Christianity. And he told me, he said, those who take the Quran literally. He says, we call them fundamentalists. He says, those are the ones that do events like 9-11 who think that they are right and serving Allah by killing off other religions. He says, I am from a more moderate sect of um, Islam that does not take the Quran literally. And I looked at him, I said, Rashad, that's really interesting. I said, I consider myself a fundamentalist of Christianity who takes the Bible literally. I said, and my, my, my holy book does not tell me to kill you. I said, I, I have no problem taking mine literally, but obviously you have a problem taking yours literally. He goes, yeah, because it's never intended to take it literally. I said, okay. I said, so here's a question. There are those in Christianity to believe the Bible is not to be taken literally. And so I asked them the same question I'm going to ask you about the Bible and the Quran. If it's meant to be taken allegorically, how do you know which allegory is the correct one? I said, you just told me there's five imams in, in Islam and all five different schools of thought. So how can you know which one is the correct one? I said, same with Christianity. If it's not taken it literally, how can you know which of these allegories is the right one? He goes, that's a very good question, Jim. I never really thought about that. I said, to me, the only one that makes sense is literal. I said, therefore, the only one for you that should make sense is literal. He goes, well, I can't, I can't accept that. Got him to think about it. So, 
the fundamentalist Muslim believes he is doing Allah service by killing you, right? That's pretty zealous. Were not those that knew that their lives were going to end that day on 9-11, getting on those planes and hijacking those planes, pretty zealous for what they were doing? Yep. And they thought that they were going to wake up in paradise with all their virgins and all this thing because of what they had done. You know where they woke up? In the flames of hell, tormented for all eternity. Why? Because there is no salvation in any other name but the name of Jesus Christ. And their religion and their zeal for their religion did not and could not save them. One more. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul says, I lived a good life. I had the proper actions. I did good things. Boy, we hear this one a lot, don't we? I'm going to get to heaven by keeping the law. I'm going to get to heaven by my good works. Because when I get to heaven, I'm going to have my good works outweigh my bad works. And I'm a living right. I know I do a couple bad things, but for the most part, I do right. And I think my right is better than my wrong, so that's how I'm going to get to heaven. It doesn't work when God says all your righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing good in your flesh. Paul says he was trying to live right. He was trying to obtain salvation by keeping the law. When he says blameless, is he talking blameless before God or blameless before man? He's not talking blameless before God. He's saying, I had this blamelessness before man because they all thought I was living so righteously. You know, Paul was still a lost sinner. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So Paul says, we cannot trust in the flesh. He goes through these seven things and says, I had the confidence in the flesh because I had these things. And now let's look again at verse 7. But what things were gained to me? Those seven things. He says, I, those I counted loss for Christ. He says, compared to Christ and his righteousness, those things are nothing. Those things are absolutely meaningless. He had proper rituals, proper nation, proper family, proper education, proper religion, a proper zeal and proper action, but none of these could save him. When he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he realized that these were all lost. Barnes sums it up, sums up Paul's statement in verse 7 this way. They really were a disadvantage, a hindrance, an injury. I look upon them not as a gain or advantage, but as an obstacle to my salvation. What is the obstacle to your salvation? That's interesting. Paul says they were not an advantage. They were disadvantaged because they were an obstacle to my salvation. And those that are trusting in these things, you know what? That is their obstacle to coming to Christ that they must overcome. And Paul overcame all these to realize it was only faith in Jesus Christ that could save him. And if you're here this morning, do not have that faith in Christ. Friend, the good news is today you can be saved. Jesus Christ wants to save you. You can't trust in your family, you can't trust in your rituals, you can't trust in your religion, but you can trust in Jesus Christ and he's promised he will save you. For those that are saved, Christian, let's remember, it's by faith in Christ that we were saved. And it's by faith in Christ we must walk. We can't go back to these 
beggarly elements, these things of the world, and trust in those in order to be able to serve Christ. It's still Him. Let's bow forward a prayer.